When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 55 of Histories of the 55? Unexpected. I know. It's half of 110. It is. What are we doing here? We all do Googling through history, exploring the histories of things you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like parrots or linen. Eight, great and hate. I think we should do well, the, the history eight. of numbers. Yes. That's a great I think idea. we should do or, or food or we, we, eating or slows, hoes and bows in honour of our <laughs> in honor of our bow tie discussion in our last podcast. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history and crucially how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew? Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of lions is in fact all about Gustavus Adolphus, the Lion of the North, that amazing Swedish king. It's also about ice cream and it's about freedom. Or that the history of hats, and I want to do hats, is all about witchcraft, kingship and politeness. Oh, and bishops' mitres, which brings us round, of course it does, to the Reformation Mm, once again. Uh, The man sitting opposite me is the primate of preservation. It's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, hello. Hello, James. And the man sitting opposite me is the merman of maritime history. (laughs) It is the truly wonderful Dr Sam Willis. Hello. Just an early warning here. We're we're recording in the shed down the end of my garden. So this is a shed cast, and that means there'll be probably dogs and trains. We are babysitting three dogs today. Yeah, we're babysitting three dogs as well. The train station is just out there, so that's what those noises are. Don't panic. Um, each week, one of us takes the lead. This week, it's Big Jim's turn. <laughs> Big Jim. Nobody has ever called me Big Jim. Here we are. God. This is for you. I think you've seen these before, but this is my prop. Okay. Well, let's for... just say what we're doing. We're doing this the history week. of... With the history of handwriting. I don't believe there's a history of handwriting. There hand... is a... No. There, there's an incredibly interesting, not tedious handwriting. Yeah. No, I history know. of handwriting. It's to do with being taught handwriting. Yeah. Who taught different people? I wonder if men and women were taught at different ages and in Ooh. different ways. Gender handwriting. Yes. You can probably recognise it you as well. You can genderise handwriting. Genderise handwriting. So different periods, different locations. Yeah. Who was taught to write in what 
ways, kind of hierarchy of handwriting, isn't there? Ooh, yes, there is. Mm. So some ways of writing hands were sort of slightly more impressive than others. I mean, I'm I'm slightly swimming here because you're actually actually an expert on the history of handwriting. So <laughs> I'm going to pass it. Well, over not an expert, to... not an expert on on handwriting, but an expert on manuscripts and letters, uh, and so handwriting features really, really clearly. Okay. Yep, there's a big history of handwriting, and we can trace handwriting from a sort of Etruscan hand through into Roman script with the sort of the ancient world, the rediscovery of handwriting under Charlemagne, Carolinian minuscule. What do you mean by the rediscovery? Was it lost? Well, it's so, so, so handwriting, a very sort of ornate form of handwriting that was used for business was basically, yeah, rediscovered from old manuscript texts. And then we can sort of see what happens in the medieval period, the development of italic hand with humanism. And you can follow it all to, you know, to modern day hand. So we can look at it in that way. We can also then think about, as you say, teaching of handwriting, who gets taught it, is connected to literacy. Yeah. Literacy is connected to knowledge and education. And we can chart that chronologically. We can chart that by gender. We can differentiate by different regions, different countries around the world. Mm. We can look at um, the difference between oral cultures and manuscript cultures. We can think about the advent of print and how all of them kind of wash up yeah. into each other. We can think about the uses of handwriting. So, you know, who has been able to write? Oh, the control um, of handwriting. The control of handwriting. You know, so, you know, I suppose a sort of very simplistic model would be apogee of handwriting under the under the Romans and then a sort of demise afterwards and handwriting tends to be associated with the church in, in the sort of early medieval period and then by about the 15th, 16th century with the rise of Renaissance humanism we see handwriting as a skill spread out to sort of diverse groups. Then the story after that is the spread of handwriting. But also, interestingly, it's also connected to everything that to do with history. It's all about archives and letters and documents yes. and things like that. But I think the, the key thing for our listeners today is that handwriting is a window into all sorts of things. Yeah. It isn't just about mapping and plotting how people wrote at different times. It's all of the wonderful information you can glean from why people yes. wrote differently at different times. It's also why medieval history is so much more easy to do than any other type of history. Um, well, what, what because, because so little survives. You have to be in, incredibly sort of scholarly to do medieval history because you need to be, you need to master various sorts of hands. You need to master, you know, multiple languages. But, I, and I'm talking completely tongue-in-cheek here, but you can more or less read a body of medieval documents in a way that you can't in yeah. the 19th century because suddenly the amount of historical records that have survived is enormous. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. enormous. OK, well, where are we going to start? You've got... Let's look at this prop thing. Um, I have a, a collection that I playfully call the Daybell Manuscripts. <laughs> a, very, a very kind student of mine, uh, final year student at... Plymouth University did a an internship for a local Sussex law firm, actually. And the law firm was basically throwing out a series of ancient deeds and indentures to do with property. And he asked me if I would like them. Mm. Yes, please. And, and I said, yes, please. And then over a series of years, I got these packages of documents. Uh, and I use them for paleography classes at Plymouth. Uh, but here, 
Have a look at those. You've used these for History Masterclass we as have, well. We've used this you? for um, our History Masterclass thing where we um, teach people, again, paleography and the wonders of documents. And if you're all interested in history, you should check out the historymasterclass.com. We might actually um, talk, talk about, about that later. You have new plans afoot. We've got you? new plans afoot and new courses and things. Anyway, so there's a, there's a huge variety of different types of handwriting here. Um, lovely one from 1799, something from 1804, so that's all quite similar. Uh, but some much older stuff as well. Um, and some, some newer stuff. So, well, I mean, let, let's try and Tear this apart a little bit. How do we... How do Don't we... tear my documents. <laughs> Handwriting is all about the raw materials of history. Yeah. Okay, so in a very basic level, you know, these are the kind of building blocks that lead to history. These are the primary sources, the documents. And for pre-modern periods, so before the invention of the typewriter, most documents are, are handwritten. Where I want to go, first of all, is uh, the point that you were talking about earlier on, which is about teaching handwriting. Mm. How does handwriting get taught? Yeah. And why does it change from location to location? And why does it change from location to location? And I want to start with, I have a little um, handwriting manual here. John de Beauchesne is a book containing diverse sorts of hands. Have a look at that. Uh, we talked a little bit about this when we looked at the pen. And what we talked about there was about we cut a quill and we talked about the different um, ways of holding a pen. But... What's fascinating here is that thinking about how people were taught, some of it is practical that they may have a writing master who teaches them or they may learn at a sort of basic school, dependent on what period we're talking about. But for the 16th and 17th centuries, there are writing manuals. Mm. So this is a very early one. When was it it's a very, very early, 1571. No way! OK, so I've it's got, got a, a good um, yeah. note on how to hold your quill. It's slightly earlier than that. I think this is a slightly later... Volume. Your body upright, stoop not with your head. That's very good, isn't it? But also what it does is it provides you a series of alphabets for different types of script. Here is the secretary alphabet, and then it shows you all the sort of different ways of writing. This. So it, w it wasn't necessarily for secretaries. No. But no. it was just described as the secretary alphabet. So at certain periods in history, there are different alphabets and different styles yep. of yep. writing the alphabet, aren't yep. they, at the same time? So, so you, could, you could sit down and write a letter in a completely different way to, yes. from I if we were yes. living in 15th Absolutely. So for the period that I primarily research on, it's sort of 1500 through to about 1800. For the 16th century and into the sort of early 17th century, the secretary script, secretary form of handwriting. A script is, is a different form of handwriting. A hand is the individual's performance of that particular form of hand. Yep. So a secretary script, it largely is used by secretaries. It is a business hand. But it, well, what I think is interesting about all of this is the way you're taught to do handwriting is it's, it's the antithesis of what I like about handwriting. Yeah. So they're, they're actually trying to make everyone write in the same way, whereas yes. I've spent my entire life trying, trying to, to write in a, different, yeah. in a different way from everyone else. I mean, actually, modern-day handwriting is much more difficult to read yeah. because it isn't uniform, whereas once you've learnt to read something like this, you know, if there's a sort of a neat secretary hand, it's pretty easy to decipher. But there are various ways in which children would have been taught to write. They'd normally be taught around the age of seven to write. They'd be taught to read slightly earlier than that. Reading comes before writing in the in the sort of 16th and 17th century, which is important. Um, they'd be taught in various ways. And you can see pen trails on various books and manuscripts that survive. Family Bibles, 
these sort of compendiums that you'd have within the household often have scrawls and practice signatures on. Um, they use sandboxes where there isn't access to paper. So you have a box full of sand and then a stick and you practice your letters in the that's cool in the sand i used to write well my my kids have written on the beach but i used to love writing on the beach i remember um going for a walk in cornwall to a very beautiful beach just north of newquay south of padstow where there's a very kind of a natural amphitheater of a um of a beach like a semicircle and the cliffs are sort of you know 200 feet high and someone had drawn an extremely rude <laughs> picture and some rude writing on the uh, on the beach and then had left so there are lots of lots of very sort of posh middle class people walking around going oh national trust this is lovely there seems to be a huge penis on the beach <laughs> uh, writing, writing on the beach writing on the beach writing on the sands great um, i hadn't really thought about that though in terms yeah. of doing it without paper paper has until fairly recently been a relatively expensive commodity for the 16th century you know, for, for for an ordinary person to buy paper would be a significant outlay of a weekly wage. Yep. You know, so you think about different ways in which people would have written, written on walls, written on pots, or, you know, in all sorts of ways. Um, and what I've got here is a, a little exam for you, a little test. Great. When I started off my PhD, I had no paleography, and I decided that I was going to do a PhD on letters, 16th century letters. And the first thing that I had to do was basically teach myself to read a secretary hand. And I went up to the Institute of Historical Research in London and had a, a whole couple of terms of paleography. And there's nothing better than sitting down with 3,000 manuscripts no. and reading through. See if you can read this. This is a very neat secretary hand. It's written for Elizabeth St. John, so a, a noblewoman. It's written for her by a secretary. They date... The date Rough is it's, it's late Elizabethan. Okay. It's undated, but so it's, late, it's late Elizabethan. Yeah, so we're talking about probably 1580s, 1590s. Oh, right. Not, not good. Uh, good, Mr. Secretary. Oh, very good. Although uh, the former acknowledgement of your honourable favours to me and... Um, I don't know what that is. And... Maybe mine. And mine, yeah, to me and mine, to me and mine, are not sufficient to show forth a dense thankfulness. Due thankfulness. Due thankfulness. Yet other... uh, So the eight abilities. Other other abilities, yeah. Yeah. Failings and... um, I... And, and I beseech you. It's, well, it's a great letter in that it just goes isn't on it, and on and on, and on and on, doesn't it? Isn't it great? Do you find that sort of difficult to, to read? Yeah, a little naturally. difficult, but um, I, I, I have some experience of reading yes. this, but yes, I, mean, yes, I, yes. I think I, I find that easier yeah. than most people would. But I also think because it's a very clear secretary hand, yeah. it wouldn't take people long to actually yeah. sort of and the way you do it is soon, what you do is you break it down and you have an alphabet. Yeah. We're going to do a whole thing on paleography uh, for our How to Be a Historian mini-series. Um, but you break it down letter by letter yeah. uh, and you can identify the shape. But what this does, you talked earlier on about a hierarchy of hands. Yeah. And Keith Thomas has this brilliant article about the meaning of literacy. And what he argues is that there are different hierarchies of manuscript hands and printed typefaces. And you shouldn't assume that just because somebody is literate in one, so can read one type of handwriting or can read a particular type of print, that they are 
literate in all. Mm -hmm. So the fact that somebody could read black letter print, which was basically the typeface that you would use to teach children to read, or when you want to exaggerate certain points in a proclamation or, say, in the Bible, you put it in black letter because it emphasises it. You shouldn't assume that somebody who can read that can actually read secretary hand. Okay, so there's levels of literacy as well as hierarchy of level, Total levels of, of literacy. I wonder what they started being taught then. You, is there a kind of a basic basic hand that so, you... So it would depend on whether you are male or female. Mm. It depends on what period. If we think about the... I'm assuming more men were taught to read than women. Yes. I mean, you measure literacy by uh, counting signatures. So you can go across historical documents and you can look at signatures. And we've done the we mentioned that in our signature, signature before. We've mentioned that. So you can map it. Yes, more men have access to school earlier. And also more men have a practical use for writing. If we're looking at sort of coming into the 19th century, I think you're seeing more and more women able to write. But we can certainly map handwriting. Uh, We can certainly look in the 16th century. There's a brilliant uh, study of the Willoughby family where they use household accounts. And you can basically describe the boy's education and the girl's education. The boy is taught to write secretary hand, which is sort of male business hand, while the girl is taught an italic hand. And italic starts off in the late 15th century in Italy as a as a scholarly hand. So it's a, a hand associated with scholarship and really? universities and humanists. I like that. So we should, we, you and I would essentially we write be, the same way we be, yes. if we were in Italy in the 15th century. If we were, if we were writing... I didn't know that. If we, cool. We'd also be writing in Latin to oh. each other and people across Europe. Like a code. Like, mm. a, like a code. Oh, we should do codes next. I think we are doing codes. We this are is doing our, codes yeah, This is our, our mini-series yes. for our on, on writing. On writing, Because we're yes. doing our book. What's our book about again, Sam? It is about the histories of the unexpected, James. Ah, the histories of the unexpected. <laughs> and when will that be available for our <laughs> listeners to buy? Maybe a December 2018. So, so uh, you think a good Christmas present I think a people? good Christmas present, yes. Anyway, so we are doing... This is handwriting. We're also doing, handwriting. doing the history of books, the history of codes, the history, history of, of paper. paper. We've done pens and letters. We're basically completely obsessed yeah. with writing, aren't yeah. we? Both but back, back to what I was saying about yeah. italics. So italics starts off in the late 15th, early 16th century as a scholarly hand, and then it sort of moves into the courts. Mm. So it tends to be adopted by uh, administrators, yeah. so sort of um, government administrators. And then by the end of the 16th century into the 17th century, it's become a woman's hand. Mm. And there's, there's a... So the identity of particular hands changes... Yeah, or, or wow. it's associated. So it's it's increasingly taught to women because there's a, a writing master uh, called Billingsley, uh, and he 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 writes in his book that it is taught because it is an e- it is an easier hand for women to write. <laughs> so this idea that women aren't as is educationally uh, adept, okay. capable as men, that they need to be taught something that's sort of easier for them to to wow. grasp. You can track it through manuscripts as well. It's very rare to find women who write secretary hands towards the the sort of late Elizabethan period, although women like um, Arbella Stewart or Queen Elizabeth I uh, could write a series of hands, mm. could write interchangeably and use them in different occasions. This idea of um, the hierarchy of hands you mentioned yes. as well, um, that's kind of 
leads on very neatly to, to the, the example that I've come up with. Oh, good. This appeals to me because of my book on the American Revolution. I, I spent five years of my life studying the American Revolution. This is a book called The Art of Writing Reduced to a Plain and Easy System Ooh, by nice. John Jenkins in 1791. Hmm. So before the American uh, Revolution, before the War of American Independence, English handwriting manuals were available in the States. Yeah. You're going to get where I'm going with this yeah. quite quickly. Yeah. And then this is the first one that was American-designed, American-made, and American-produced. And it was endorsed by famous people like John Adams uh, and John Hancock. The, the key to understanding this is what it says in the title. It's a plain and easy system. This book essentially is all about the democracy of handwriting. It's the opposite. Mm. It's the breaking down of the hierarchy of handwriting. And he, this guy called John Jenkins, came up with a way of uniting the hand with the mind. So rather than having to learn the handwriting by sitting in front of a writing master and copying him for hours yeah. and hours and days and days and years and years, it was a way of... It's quite a lot of mindfulness, as we might call it now in this. So you study your letter and you think very carefully about how you're going to do it. You're not blindly copying someone, basically. You simplify the, the way it's each letter is structured. You think about it and then you reproduce it. And then, yeah, he called it the link between the hand and the mind. But what he really wanted to do here was to make handwriting not a prized skill, something that was accessible and available to everyone. But not just that, but everyone would then write in the same way. And so it, this, essentially, 1791, so it's uh, roughly a decade or so after American independence, within yeah. another decade, it's become the accepted standard of American handwriting. So you have an, you've mm, got this nationality right, of handwriting right. between Britain and America, oh, and it's used as a means of vocalising and demonstrating national identity. Brilliant. Isn't that cool? Brilliant. Yeah. And it also tells you how they understood their own identity in um, relation to the British. And it also links into all this this kind of the, the wonderful early American problem. So it's very, you know, they, they win their independence, but it's complete chaos. It's complete, yeah. it's political yeah. chaos. No one's yeah. really sure about it. They think about fighting again and they need unity. And one of the ways of doing it, realised by, um, by John Adams, among others, was like, let's all start writing in the same way. And it's taught in schools. And that's the way you disseminate it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's actually about national identity which is why handwriting is all about chalk <laughs> because we've done chalk and national identity in the white cliffs of Dover. and about clocks and about clocks because why is that uniformity we, we, uniformity mm. and language yeah. and latin and those amazing blackboards in yes. america yes that so that very briefly just while i talk about it again because it was so lovely they um some people refurbishing a school in kentucky was it I think so. They took off the existing blackboards and found intact, beautifully preserved blackboards from early 1900s. Yeah, with the amazing handwriting. 100-year-old lesson. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I want to go somewhere slightly different, which is atrocious handwriting. Ooh, I have... That's good. I have the, the possibly not the world's worst... I wonder um, who does, officially. But uh, I'm sure somebody does, somewhere. We should get in touch with the Guinness Book of Records. Yes, but I have, <laughs> I, I often describe to my students that my handwriting is like a, uh, a dyslexic spider on a concoction of acid and vodka. I mean, it's just, <laughs> to be honest, it's now got so bad because I, I no longer write very much. I tend to type so much nowadays, but it's now got so bad that when I do, on the odd occasion, write, I can't actually read my own writing. It's so yeah, bad. I get that as well. Can you think of historical examples of appalling handwriting? Da-dum, da-dum. I'm sh- or I could if I was given more yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my Sorry, I, I, threw you a, I threw you a Google. The thing, the thing that gets me is nowadays, if you look at pushy parents and teachers, it's all about, you know, getting the sort of the nice, neat writing and we associate cleverness and advancement with neat writing. But, you know, some of the cleverest people in the past have had appalling handwriting and that there's a in doctor's handwriting, almost a sort of an... Where's inter- that myth an come inter- from? An intellectual, an intellectual disdain for neat handwriting just go, don't 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 escape my doctor question <laughs> i think that's not i've always we're allowed we're allowed to be platitudinous at points i got to go here in defense of doctors okay so go on I, be I defen- think, defensive of doctors so this this thing about doctors we should do actually do this for the podcast of the signature right i think it comes purely from people observing doctors signing a prescription yes which they yes. do yes um i don't know can the doctor get in touch? How many prescriptions do you sign a day? Is it 50? Is it 20? Is it 100? Matt Lovell, you need to tell us. What's your handwriting <laughs> we like? Know, we know loads of doctors. Someone, <laughs> someone tell me. So I think that to make life simple, they turn their signature into, into like a little squiggle, basically, yep. and yep. which is where this whole myth of yep. doctors having a handwriting comes out. So yep. that's probably linked to the history of prescriptions. Okay, this is probably one of the worst 16th century hands I have ever come across. And... It has been transcribed... It looks like Arabic. ...by a brilliant friend of mine, Alison Wiggins, uh, who's up at the University of Glasgow and has run the uh, Bess of Hardwick Correspondence Project. And this Let me read is, it out to you. So it's George Talbot, 6 Earl of Shrewsbury, to Bess of Hardwick, 28th of June, 1568. Yeah. And it says quite clearly... <laughs> It's, it's, non- from <laughs> it's nonsense. It's a kind of bizarre, spidery, later gothic. It is, sort of, isn't it? And this this guy is one of the wealthiest aristocrats in the country, in Elizabethan England. He and his wife are keepers of Mary, Queen of Scots. Really powerful. And he's writing to his wife here. And it, I mean, I have no idea whether she would have been able to read this. No. I, I mean, I. But you certainly do get that. You get you get examples of, of historical documents of great significance. Yes, and you know in international moments. Yes, <laughs> make an effort, please. Yes, yeah. not yeah, just yeah. for us, but surely for the person who's actually going to receive this. I have Mary Queen of Scots upstairs in a cupboard, and I think it's quite important that her head is not cut off. It for example, you know, says, what does it say? It actually says to my dear wife. Uh, to my, what does it say? To my dear known 
Um, being here arrived at Wingfield late yesternight night from Refford, thou weary in tolling about yet thinking. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this is the atrocious phonetic spelling. Yeah, yeah. So phonetic spelling is spelling things in the way that they sound, yeah. sort of the way that they are. They are can, can I just say that I really love the word yesternight? Yesternight. Yeah. Yesternight, I Where did we lose met you? a friend. I know, yeah. I know. Yesternight, I went to bed. Beautiful language that we've lost. Yeah, I think there's an interesting point here about the the connection between handwriting and intellect. So, you know, nowadays we associate neat handwriting with some with with sort of intellect. You think about in the past, handwriting was seen, the ability to write was in fact a, a pretty arduous and sort of, you know, servile activity. You know, so the reason that a nobleman here doesn't write is because he has people who do that for him. He has clerks who do that. Why should he learn to do that when he's got a servant who can do it for him? But also intellectually, somebody like Chaucer didn't write himself. Mm. Chaucer used used an amanuensis. So the act, what an amanuensis is somebody who writes for you. We can should I, do, can I have we should do something on amanuenses. It's like a secretary. It was like a little a scribe. So you dictate. Yes, we should we should get one. We should have a little minion. Over, you, over in the applications corner. for a history of unexpected amanuensis, please, or amanuenses. If if mm. if we want more, we could have one, one each. each. But Chaucer dictated most of Canterbury Tales, mm-hmm. and so the idea is that um, the sort of um, mechanical art of handwriting yeah. is not connected to the intellectual activity. That was extremely enjoyable. Um, I have I have more. Do you? Well, I have famous people's hands. I have buying handwriting. I tell you what, if you want to have a look at my handwriting, everyone, go on to the BBC4 website, search for The Silk Road, which is my three-part episode on um, The Silk Road, because um, I kept a diary and I took photographs and I pasted them in and I also wrote down poems and all sorts of fun stuff. And there's um, there's some great examples of my slightly odd... Um, some might say unique handwriting. Um, and one of the things I adored about going on my travels so much was um, being able to talk to Chinese people about their handwriting. I've got my name written in Chinese and in Arabic as well. Um, and it was great. It was a bit of a cultural history of handwriting on the Silk Road as much as anything else. So that's on the BBC Four website. Are you in awe of famous handwriting, famous people's handwriting? So when, for example, you read a Admiral Lord Nelson letter... Does it matter to you that you're reading The Great Man's Hand? Um, it certainly did when I started off being a historian. Right, and now it's kind of, you've seen so, so much I, of it. I weirdly have mm. my own history of response to handwriting. Right, right. But no, but that's particularly, I suppose, with 18th century naval officers, which is what I did my PhD in. But if yeah. I, I would probably find that buzz again if yes. I went to an archive and I got something you written start. by Mary yeah. Queen of Scots or something, I don't know, but, yeah. which I had not come across, or Brunel. So yes, yes, it is. It is a weird mixture. I think I'm anaesthetised to some periods and some subjects. Yes, but others I'm not. And I was totally blown away when I went and saw Brunel's sketchbooks yeah. and his diaries. Um, Bristol Record Office was it? Would it have been or hmm. yeah, or maybe it was. Um, it might have been a special exhibition at the SS Great Britain right. for the right. Brunel 2000. But anyway, they're amazing, and I, yeah. was, I was really quite moved. I, I, there was a collection recently that just got deposited. But they have to be famous for that have to happen to you. You don't, sort, you don't get a, of. a chill if it's just Joe Bloggs or, writing. I mean, or a discovery of something in a particular period. I still get yeah. I still get that. But there, there was a big deposit um, a few years ago at Devon Record Office. Some papers were being thrown out 
by the Duke of Somerset. Uh, Is your house he, he full was, of things that have been moved. thrown out? No, 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 they're not, they're not mine. Oh, right. but he, he was basically getting, <laughs> oh, so he, he was, was, he was clearing the attic, oh. so had basically discovered four boxes of documents relating to Devon and Wiltshire in, from the 1580s through to post-Civil War, so into the sort of late 17th century. The Wiltshire stuff went to Wiltshire Record Office, the Devon stuff went to Devon Record Office, and I had a PhD student working on it. And just going through some of that material, all the sort of big names of Elizabethan history and into sort of restoration history. So Samuel, there are several Samuel Pepys letters there that nobody had ever had ever looked at. And see, that I, kind actually, of thing, see, I've not seen Pepys's handwriting, but I'd love to. Right. Pepys lost his lost his eyesight, so his handwriting deteriorated really? later that's on. Sad. Yeah. That's like Beethoven going I, th- I think I think he sort of started using, you know, people to Can we do the history of deafness? Ooh, hearing. Yes. Hearing and that sight. Would be good. Do the that history of hearing good. and sight. Yeah. Would you pay to own a famous person's manuscript? Definitely not. No. There is an enormous market. Letters yeah. go for millions yeah. of millions of pounds. A letter from letter would... from Van Gogh and Gauguin went for Five hundred and seventy-nine thousand dollars. Gosh, a Clement Attlee letter from Mao Zedong went for seven hundred and thirty-seven thousand. That's quite cool, though. Um, George Washington letter one point four four million dollars. Um, Albert Einstein two point one million. Another Albert Einstein letter went for three million. Um, another George Washington letter went for 3.2 million. Abraham Lincoln to Juan Horace Mann went for 3.4 million. Wow. Francis Crick to Michael Crick went for, for 5.3 million. And this is a groundbreaking seven page letter from Nobel Prize winning scientist Francis Crick to his son Michael describing his beautiful discovery of DNA. <laughs> and there's another one from Zen Gong, the Chinese scholar from 1080, which apparently recently went for $30 million. Wow. We're in, I think we should, we should, we should forge, forge a series of letters. Don't tell anyone, James. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe our letters will be worth a lot. Do you know what, I, I, I would, um... You'd pay for a letter from me, wouldn't you? Yes, of course. I, no, I wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't pay for a famous letter. I would pay for art, mm. without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. Um, art mm. is my thing. I yeah. like being able to look at it. What's reminded me is also just thinking about this and the way people's handwriting changes. Uh, we haven't talked about that, yes. but change over time. So from yes. the obvious one is from a child to an you were adult. We talking about Anne Boleyn, weren't you? We talked about Anne Boleyn, yeah. and we've also talked about this in terms of the signature as well, yes. haven't we? Um, but one of the best ones I found was um, something I did for the Navy Records Society, which you should all look at, navyrecords.org. They've been publishing British naval letters from like 1893, yeah. and they're absolutely fabulous. And one of the things that I published on their online magazine website was a collection Collection of postcards sent back to the UK after the fall of Singapore in 1942. Mm. And what was really interesting about it mm. is that, that you can compare the handwriting of the man who went off to war in 19, um, you know, 40, 1939, with the handwriting of the man who is in a Japanese prisoner of war camp oh, in 43. Gosh. And it's shocking. It's, it's, it's completely destroyed. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the most moving things I've seen. Um, postcards sent home right. from a Japanese prisoner of war camp. Amazing. You should actually look at those. I mean, you find out now. Uh, NavyRecords.org.uk, and then you click on online magazine. Now, what they have here are standalone significant documents. They've all been given a thousand word introductions from historians. 
uh, essentially. It really doesn't cost very much to join and it's worth doing. Oh, and there's another one. Um, some, it's a collection of letters from the lower deck of a, of a naval ship in 1986, and it's a suicidal sailor writing home, and oh, uh, it's desperately upsetting. Gosh. Um, and he is not having fun. And um, it's saying it's during his training. Mm. Um, and, and his handwriting goes from being, uh, everything's fine, I'm, I'm in my training to be in the Royal Navy, I'm all good, to, I mean, I, I think he was significantly mentally unwell. It all, it all completely collapses. Mm. Um, but that's the interesting thing about handwriting is it requires fine motor skills of your hand. You need to be pretty conversmentous yeah. in your head to do yeah. it. Yeah. And so health, it, it is an obvious, obvious thing that, that affects handwriting. Um, yeah, so look at those. Do look at the letters from the lower deck, 1906. Deathbed wills yeah. as well. People often wouldn't write wills themselves. I'm just trying to find this place. they were now. not able. There we go. Our prison of war correspondence and the fall of Singapore. Um, and there's a collection of these things here. They're all stamped by the Japanese who had to... Um, so he's so, oh, brilliant. So colourful. Goodness me. So he, he's written the postcard. The postcard's gone through the Japanese kind of um, editorial... Censors. Censors yeah. office. There's yeah. another one where this bloke's been writing completely normal letters home. Dear mummy, I hope the vegetable patch is okay. All this is up, but it's actually in code. And what he's saying is the Japanese have taken Singapore <laughs> or, or whatever it is. There's some kind of a horrific event happening on these three submarines have sunk. And actually it's all about his vegetables, which leads us on very neatly to the history of codes. Codes, which, which we'll we're doing next. About now. I also sense we'll come back to the history of handwriting and do a I part think we two. Will. We've got lots more to say you about it. You should also go out and read Letters of Note. Very nice book introduced to me by my friend Jeff. Uh, Jeff who? Uh, can't remember. I don't want to out my friends on air. My lovely friend, Jeff. Jeff, you know who you are. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for listening to this. Thank you uh, very much. If you do like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. Please do so. It really makes a difference. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow us at Unexpected Pod. We are very proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit, and other fantastic shows that you should, you really should indeed be listening to. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss, and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Bye! But before we no, switch we're off... we're still here. But before we switch <laughs> off... Don't you want to tell us about History Masterclass? I do. You do? Mm, yes. Yes. Now, what's um, happening with History Masterclass? So, History Masterclass is something I set up with the wonderful Susie Lipscomb to teach people all about history in nice, intimate settings in beautiful historical locations. So, no more of you than um, 30 or so in the room. And we have got one coming up uh, very soon with Jesse Childs. Oh, the lovely Jesse Childs. The lovely Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hello, Jesse. And um, that's going to be at Stowe, so you can't really beat that for um, an, an amazing location. Um, and What's it on, Sam? That's on the gunpowder plot. On the gunpowder Terror plot. and faith so in Elizabethan all- and Jacobean England. So it's all about oranges. Really? Yes, 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 and, and, and secret letters. Yes. We've done that. You should listen to the history Ooh. of our orange. Anyway, and we've got many more things coming soon. So check out the historymasterclass.com. If you like learning about history, you don't have to go to university anymore. You don't have to sign up to a course. You can just come and listen and come to one of our or you, one of you our could, events. You, you could come and be taught by me instead. Yes. <laughs> well, James, <laughs> going to be coming, you're going to be coming to do some history masterclass yes, for us. Definitely. Um, we've it's got all fun. sorts of wonderful people coming up. We've got Tom Holland. We've got Dan Jones. We've got De- David Olishogo. We've got Bethany Hughes. Uh, we've got loads Ooh, of people. It's going to be lovely, tremendous. Classless. Great. Um, that's it. Bye. Bye.
If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Facebook and Twitter at The History MC.